Let's turn to Deuteronomy 7. We're going to bring the lights up. So, a few weeks ago, you know, we had our reunion that was designed in part to help uh, everyone who is a part of the church um, kind of see some of the roots that go back to the college ministry we came from, and then to let some of the people who are a part of the college ministry see where the church has landed, you know, kind of let the two groups mingle a little bit and hear each other's stories and, and just see the overall story arc that is the ring. And tonight, we celebrate the 10 years of church stuff. Um, and so, you know, we did the reunion at Parkview, and if you, if you were there and you were there um, for one of the meal you know, times in the gym, 10 years ago Friday, uh, the 12th, um, which is Abraham Lincoln's birthday, which is just a coincidence, but it's how I, a part of how I remember what day it is. Um, on that day, uh, that night, actually, we gathered in that gym, and we had a launch service where, you know, we're like, okay, well now, on this night, we're going to be, we're not going to be a college ministry anymore, we're going to be a mission church, and we didn't really know what that would, you know, we didn't know how to do that. We, none of us had ever been to anything like that before. No one at Parkview really knew what to do with it either, and so we just kind of planned something. And um, there was a kind of the service. It was similar to the reunion service in terms of like kind of the plotting out the story. And we had um, some of the we kind of did it musically, kind of like at the reunion service. But we had different musicians come in that had played and kind of told the story. And then when it got to the point of the church like happening, we weren't really sure how do you. You know, do you vote on it? Do you, um, I don't know, do you have like a countdown? We didn't really know what do you do like to turn that mo- moment over. And so uh, the, the way that the Lord led us is we got all the people who were going to be a part of the church, like the mission church, the Ring Community Church. Um, they all gathered in the middle of the room. And then we had a lot of our like uh, family members. We had people who were a part of the college ministry that had moved away. We had people from Parkview who were there, who were not going to be a part of the church. And so they, they surrounded us in a big circle. And so we had all of us clumped together in the middle, and they all got around us, around the outside. And then Jim Wallace, who was my boss at Parkview, and uh, he's the one who, who first had the idea of starting a worship service to reach college students. Um, he came up and he prayed, basically like prayed us in, in, into existence, like through his prayer when he said amen, we were suddenly a magically a church, you know. And, uh, and so that was a very, a very cool moment. And I really am very grateful that those of you who were never in that room before had the opportunity to be there. And it's, you know, it's not a magical place. But to watch people walk in there who were from that old era, just walking in that room, you kind of just, it's like it got on you again, you know. And it was, it was just a really special place, even though it's just a basketball gym. It was more than that to, to us. And in that moment, we like prayed, and then he said amen, and we all looked at each other, and we all hugged and stuff, and we were like, okay, well, now what? And we're like, well, now we've got to get to work. You know, now we continue the work that's been started. And so from that moment until now, we have, um, we have been against the odds, really. Like, we... We should really should not have survived by any sort of like earthly standards at all. Um, and I was saying this yesterday that a lot of the uh, a lot of the voices outside of us that were speaking to us, like people from the like the Baptist Convention and 
um, just people in ministry and stuff like that were all saying that they would all list like 10 or 12 reasons why it was a bad, bad idea, bad concept, bad time, bad everything, you know. Um, and we, it's not that we just dismissed all that advice, but there was something like internal that God had, had spoken to us and that just kept getting passed to the next group, to the next group, to the next group for those, you know, eight years. And, um, and so when we started, we had no idea what we were doing, really. Like, I look back on it now, and I just shake my head. Like, it's just amazing to me that, like, some of the things that we did or didn't do, uh, things that were important to us, things that were not important to us, they're just, I just look back on it, I'm like, how in the world did we make it? Um, and, and I've been pondering that a ton lately. That really, in a lot of ways, they were right. That we we um, we were too young. We were a little bit naive. Well, we were a lot bit naive. But uh, we had no money. We had no plan. We didn't have a place to meet. So we were kind of um, just kind of like, well, can we meet in the gym for a while? And they're like, I guess you can, you know. And so we didn't really know what to do there. We, we, we were clueless in a lot of the ways that it would have probably been helpful to be clued in on. But we were not clueless about the one thing that was driving us forward, which was that Jesus had, was leading us and calling us to do it. And really, that's all that mattered. Um, and in a very respectful way, like I had to just tell a lot of, like, uh, very wise old owls who were telling me this is a bad idea. I had to tell them uh, we're still going to do it, you know. Uh, and it wasn't rebellious. It was like, no, we're our number one job is to be obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. Um, and in those ten years, uh, there's a lot that has happened. A lot of things that we've been through. Um, and so I was just thinking about tonight and what I, you know, not just not only of course what God wanted to say, but also some of, like, what do I want to say? As, a, as like, the, one of the pastors here, the, you know, I've been in this from the beginning, you know, like, what do I want to bring to the table? Like, what am I, what am I uh, stirred about now? And is it okay for God to, like, for us to be on the same page, me and him, as far as, like, what tonight should be about? And, um, and that's always kind of a dialogue, you know, that happens when you're, when you do what I do. And so uh, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I kind of want to preach about this. And he's like, no, no, you don't. Or you do, but you're not going to. You're going to preach about this. And, uh, but more often than not, like we, we sync up, you know, and, and I feel like I always come in with kind of like a good, a good grip on what God wants at least communicated uh, overall for the night. It may not always come across that way, but I kind of feel that way. And, um, and so this is one of those times where I feel like what is on my heart is consistent with what is on God's heart. Um, and the thing that I've been like just kind of circling around for a couple of weeks since the reunion, I think, is appropriate for tonight, not only for the birthday but also for Lent. Um, the things that the thing that that has gotten us through ten years, uh, I made a list of things that have not sustained us. Uh, one thing that has, uh, here's just I'm just gonna rattle them off real quick here. Um, we have not sustained ourselves. Let's be very clear about that. Like, we are, we are not that awesome. We are not awesome enough to plant our own church and do things our own way. Um, as gifted as this group is, and as loving, and as, like, just willing to sacrifice, and all that kind of stuff, 
We are not what has sustained us for 10 years. Um, It's not the leadership. uh, It's not the programming. It's not any sort of gimmick, which, you know, we don't do a lot of gimmicky kind of things. But that, um, so I guess guess I can't really say that hasn't worked because we haven't really tried it. But uh, no, no gimmick has sustained us. Our facilities have not sustained us, you know. There are, some, there are some churches that really thrive, and, and I don't mean this even in a bad way, but like their facility is a magnet for the community, for people, you know, that kind of stuff, and God uses that to draw people in. Uh, we have not been in a facility that was a magnet. And I'm grateful to have a roof over our heads and all that kind of stuff, so it's no, no disrespect to, you know, to Grace or the BCM or Parkview's gym, but none of that stuff has, has been attractive to the Baton Rouge community. That's not what's gotten people involved um, wealth has not sustained us. You know, we've, we've, um, we've, beaten, we've, we've been surprisingly healthy financially in terms of like just having enough money to, to survive, to do some ministry stuff, to have some staff, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but we are not just like overflowing with money where we can just keep throwing money out there and eventually the people will come in. Uh, our time and our location have not sustained us. If anything, they've worked against us at times, you know. Um, and, and luck, we're not just lucky, you know, there, are, there are, are a lot of church plants out there that don't survive, and there are a bunch of reasons for that, um, and so I've really been thinking, like, why have we made it? And it's really not about the ones that don't make it, it's about us, like, why, why have we made it? If, if a lot of American churches rely on a lot of those things, the people, the leadership, the facilities, the money, the gimmicks, all that kind of stuff, and none of that stuff has been our deal, you know? And so I've really been thinking, like, why why are we still around? How did we make it? And the only thing that has sustained us is the, uh, is the correct answer, and it's the Sunday school answer, and it's great when those things are the same, that Jesus is the only reason that we are here ten years later. Like, his love and his grace are the only reasons why we're having a tenth birthday party. And the only reasons why we haven't had to have some really like brutal meetings and be like, this is not working. We've had brutal meetings, and we've said this isn't working, but not like we, need to, we might have to close the doors kind of brutal. And I have friends who have, have done that, who have been down that road, and it's very painful and it's very difficult. And this is not a slight on any church that has just not been able to make it. It's really like we're, we're kind of focusing on us tonight and what has done it. And it's not any of those other things. It is just the grace and the love of God that has, has gotten us to this point. And we have got to, um, we just have to own that. We have to thank him for that. that it has to be about, about him. Only Jesus could get us through stuff. Here's just a list of things before we get into the text. He's the only way that we survived the transition from a college ministry mindset to a church mindset. That, that was so much more difficult than we imagined. I don't know if we thought, like, as soon as Jim Wallace prays, then we're all of a sudden going to think like, like a grown-up adult church deal. But it didn't, because when he said amen, we were this, kind of the same people. You know, in some ways we were different, but in a lot of ways it was like the same stuff. And we just had to keep going and keep figuring things out. That transition... Only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus could relocate a church three times. My churches don't survive that kind of stuff very, very, well, most of them don't do it at all, um, especially three times. Only Jesus could have helped us learn to give and budget and spend and steward. 
Uh, it's been a difficult lesson. It's been, uh, that was one of the weirdest things. Because when we were a college ministry, all the money, it was all Parkview's deal. They just handled all that stuff. And every year they said, hey, here's your little bitty budget, you know. And so we were like, what do we do with this, mo- like, what do we do with like a $4,500 a year budget? You know, not much. That's what, that's what you do. Uh, and so we, that's why we started writing our own small group material, because we couldn't afford to buy it. Uh, and that's why we did things very simply most of the time, and we put our energy into like a few things. And other than that, we were like, well, let's, you don't have a lot of money to work with, okay, but you don't, it doesn't take money to have relationships with people, you know. And so when we became a church, we had to learn to like collect an offering. Some of you guys might remember the first offering we collected. It was so weird. You know, it was awesome, but it was kind of kind of strange. And so we we've always kind of done this giving station down here because we didn't. We always felt like for us, um, giving should be an act of worship, just like singing or studying or praying or anything like that. And uh, and so we just wanted that to be a response. And so when we were in the gym over there at Parkview, there was a table in the back corner, and it was kind of like, kind of like this one. It was kind of tucked away back there. And um, in that gym, it was a lot easier to move around during the service. Like here, it's sort of it's this like shotgun room where you kind of just see everything that happens. But in the gym, it was a little, you could be a little more incognito about things. And and you really would all throughout the service, people would get up and they would go back to that station and they would give their offering. During the music, during the sermon, um, a lot of times during the sermon, but uh, there was always, it was just kind of this thing where that, it was just a part of, of the worship of the room that was happening, and we've maintained that on purpose, and uh, you know, our giving has morphed into more electronic giving and that kind of stuff, but uh, learning to do all that, like Jesus, he helped us figure that out. We didn't know how to do that, and we learned the hard way um, in a lot of ways on that. Um, he has developed our teams and our leaders and the ups and downs of figuring it out. Um, just uh, having to get to the point where we're like, okay, uh, he's calling us to do this, so we need to put some people together and figure out who's gifted how and all that kind of stuff. And So we went from a college ministry that was basically a worship service and community groups and then started like, well, we've got, we got to have a kids ministry. We've got some youth. We've got to do something with them. We, uh, we want to serve in the community. We've got people going on you know, doing missions. We have all these things. And he has helped us figure out how to do that um, through all the highs and lows. Uh, he's taught us more and more about what elders are and the role that the staff plays. And we are definitely still, still learning that stuff, figuring that stuff out. Most of us come from... Uh, well, if you come from a Southern Baptist background, I really shouldn't say most of us because a lot of you don't. Uh, uh, most Baptist churches have a mindset that the... Staff works for the for them, you know, like no, like we pay you to do these things, and and that's not biblical. It's not correct. It's you know whatever, and um, and so we've had to learn over time. Like okay, well, what is the what's what do we do with Meg? You know, what do we do with Josh? What do we do with the fact he's on staff and he's an elder? And who are the elders? And what do they do? And is it like board of directors or it's like whatever? And so we have tried to morph and learn that stuff, and obviously we're still figuring that stuff out. But he has sustained us through that and kept it from being the kind of thing that just like made everybody mad and everybody went running for the hills. Um, we've been through the best of, and the worst of times in life together. We've done, we've, like I said at the reunion, we've done weddings and we've done funerals. Like We've been there for the full spectrum of the best and worst that life has to offer. We started with a few kids and then we had a ton of kids. 
You guys remember the kids' community group that used to meet behind the gym in the like, choir room back there? And there were like six kids, and there were like eight adults, you know, and it was like kind of out of balance. And um, they were just will, like, we'll just we'll figure it out. And so we started looking at curriculum and how to do things. And we had a nursery that was up on the in the hallway up there that was just a room with carpet in it. That was it. And uh, and it, it just got to the point where it kept growing. You know, the BCM was like trying to convince people that a conference room was a nursery. Uh, it never worked. You know, it's like no matter how many colorful mats you put on the ground, they're like, no, this is still a conference room. And uh, so we figured that out. And and you guys who are parents have willingly participated in something that was constantly rolling the dice. You could you could have gone to a church that had like this really slick nursery that's like completely state of the art and set up and all that kind of stuff, whatever. And and that's fine, and those churches are, if they're, if that's what God's using to bring people in, and I think that's incredible. But Jesus has helped you be like, no, this is, we're in that, we're in that window of trying to learn how to do things. And you've helped us figure it out. We've had to learn how to be adults, learn how to be friends, learn how to be spouses and parents and employees and siblings. Um, Jesus has helped us sink more deeply into covenant and covenant in Christ and covenant with one another. And, and you know, we've learned what that means. We're continuing to learn what it means to have made vows to each other. That Jesus has made vows to us and we have made vows to him. And then as a church, we've made those to one another. And we're, we're learning the like, ups and downs of, of covenant life and how rich it is. Sacrificing spiritual gifts, talents. Uh, he's refined all these through using them. We've grown in holiness. We've walked through the dark valleys of sin and all the garbage that that brings. He's helped us leave the baggage behind, little by little, in every area of life, to keep learning who He is and who we are and what it means to do life together on this earth until He comes back. And so it's been ten years of really, really great stuff and really, really difficult stuff. And Jesus has been completely steady and faithful through the whole thing. And I believe what he wants from us tonight is to receive his affirmation to us. That we're here because of his faithfulness, yes. But his love for us is something I think he really wants us to just like be open-handed and like literally just receive all of it tonight. That we're here and that we're here at 10 years and that needs to like speak to us that he loves us. He believes in us. He's proud of us. He's pleased with us. He's all the things we want him to be with us as a church. And that 10 years, the same thing will get us through the next 10 and the next 10 or whatever. And hopefully he comes back soon. But if he doesn't, the same thing that's gotten us this far will stay in place. Look at Deuteronomy 7. Starting in verse 6. He's speaking to, to the children of Israel. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people. 
But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Okay? Now you want to talk about a dense passage of scripture. And there's so much in there. And yes, he is speaking to Israel, but I believe that the New Testament, uh, Paul and Peter both talk about us being like tied into those promises, being grafted in together. They use the same language, the same set of promises, and so I don't believe at all that it is a is a, a stretch or a reach to say that God's um, God's love for us is the same as He's expressing here in these verses. So I want to walk through them really quickly, and can can we just be receptive? You know, there's no. There's no uh, weird agenda here. There's, this is just, I think God just wants us to just, just hear him saying how much he loves us. Just like he's saying to them how much he loves them. Okay, let's just receive it. Let's walk through it. Verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. So holy, to be holy is, is to be set, you know, separate, to be set apart for a specific purpose. Uh, the, the Bible is set apart from all other books and is set apart for a purpose, which God is very clear about his purposes in, in the scriptures. Um, that God himself is holy, that he is separate from everything else that's ever been created. And he is set apart uh, for his glory, for um, his renown, for everything about him to be known and it's like for him to be him. And so he's set apart for those purposes and to be worshipped and to be honored by all of creation. And so when it says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God, saying, I've, I've separated you out from everyone else, and we're holy to Him, that we're set apart to Him, like by Him, through Him, for Him, that, that he, has, he has like carved us out from everyone else, and he said, you are holy to me. Like you're separate and the purpose that I'm separating you for is like it's to me, it's for me. That you as a believer are holy to him. That we as a church, as the ring, are separate and holy to him. That he looks at us. And he says, yeah, I've, I've carved you out of these communities, of this city. I've pushed you together and it's to me, it's for me. That this 10th birthday, is, it's to him, it's for him. We're blessed by it, we celebrate it, we embrace it, we love it, but it's to him and only to him. So verse 6, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Now think about that for a second. Just receive that from him. That we're chosen to be a treasured possession. That you and us together were treasured by a choice. That you're wanted. Like he, he wants us. 
He's chosen us. He values us. He loves us. That we're, we're treasured. You have possessions that you treasure. Parents, I know that kids are on a possession, but you're stewarding them. So in a sense, maybe, maybe they can be. And aren't, aren't, don't you treasure them? I mean, if, if there's a building on fire, isn't that, that's the one thing you'd want to get out, right? You wouldn't be like, no, the kid's not, not really. I want to go get this one particular like, item, you know. No, man. You get the people out. You know what a treasured possession is. And God looks at us and says, you are holy and set apart, and I've chosen you to be my treasured possession, that we are wanted. This is not a casual relationship that God has with this church. It's not. In the book of Revelation, the letters to the churches, and it talks about these lampstands, and the lampstands represent the seven churches, and it says that Jesus walks among the lampstands. That Jesus walks among us. That he is with us in fullness. Because he treasures us. He's not, he's not a supervisor. He's making sure we're doing right. No, he wants to be with us just like you want to be with those that you love because you treasure them and you value them. Can we just receive the fact that he wants us? That he wants us. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Okay? Now, when he's talking to Israel, he had obviously chosen them out of all the nations. But can't this also mean, like, can't we just take this to mean that uh, we're not just lumped in with everybody else? That God is big enough to not be like, well, I just got to look at everybody as one big massive thing. That he is big enough to be able to like, see you as a treasured possession of his, valued and wanted. And that he can see us as a group, as a church, as valued and treasured. That we're not lumped in with everyone else. We're, we're like special, you know. And the other churches are also special. That he's not like us where he has to divide his loyalty. That he's big enough... And just he is massive enough to be able to like fully give everyone himself. He loves us with in, with limitless precision. Verse seven. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. It's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that he's brought you out. So, think about this. That God, uh, what he's telling them, he's saying, you know, it's not because you were the biggest nation, actually you're the smallest nation. In other words, it's not for what, for what they could do for him. He's not using Israel. He's not using us. Not in the way that, that we think of being used, you know. We think, oh, he's, you know, he's, so-and-so is using this person, and that's like this, that's a sinful, evil thing. That's where pain and destruction in our world comes from, is one person using another person, or a group of people, or whatever. But God, God's like, no, I'm really not interested in your stats. I'm not impressed by your performance. I'm not drawn to you because you're... you're there's so many of you, or, or whatever. I'm not, it's not about what you can do for me. 
that God is not needy in that way. That's hard for us because we, all we kind of know is like the other kind of world, you know. And, and I think he's teaching us and helping us to, to, to realize the uniqueness that's there. That for him, it's just it's as simple as it says in, in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It's saying it's not about your stats, your performance. Verse 8 says, but it's because he loves you. It's like, why does God love us? Well, he loves us because he loves us. Like that. There's no, there's no other explanation. He loves you because he loves you. Isn't that the purest form of, of love that you can think of? That's a love that doesn't change when your performance changes. You know? He doesn't, he doesn't love you for your appearance because your appearance will change. He doesn't love you for your athletic ability because your athletic ability will change. He doesn't, he doesn't love you for, for this or for this or for this or for this or for this because all those things will change. He, he loves you because he loves you. It doesn't get more pure than that. It doesn't, um, it doesn't get any better than that. And so when God, I think he looks at us tonight and I think he is so pumped about 10 years together and all that kind of stuff. And I think he's like, man, I just love them. I just love them. I hope that they know it. I hope that they receive it. I hope that they never, never forget it. I hope that they never doubt it, even for a second. The best day, worst day, all that stuff, just throw it out the window. He loves you because he loves you. He loves Israel because he loved them. And their history was up and down, right? I mean, they were, they were really faithful one minute and then just completely idolatrous and rebellious the next. And his love never changed. He dealt with them according, accordingly, you know, because he was always wanting what was best for them, what's best for them, because he just loves them, loves them, loves them. And so I hope that our gathering tonight, in part, we're able to just be like, man, he just loves us because he loves us, and that's all there is to it, individually and as a group. And then it says, uh, verse 8, But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Okay? His love doesn't just, he doesn't, love never just kind of sits there dormant, you know. Love always, always moves, it's all, it always acts, you know. Um, that there is, there's always something that he does. And so from his love, he's made these promises, this, these oaths, like this like commitment to his people. So it says, not because you're the greatest uh, numbers on the earth, actually you're the smallest, it's because he loves you and he's keeping the promises that he made to your forefathers, because he, he loved them too. That he's made these promises to us and he will continue to keep those promises forever. And so as a church, we're a part of this big set of like, covenant promises that his blood has guaranteed. That as we set our faces toward Jerusalem and we go through Lent and we think about these things, like these are promises that, that will never, ever change. So not only does he love you because he loves you, but he has made a promise to you that, and that pro, it will never change. That nothing that you're going to do or that I'm going to do or this church is going to do is going to change his love for us. That in times that are difficult, in times when he is correcting and he is, is, there's discipline or there's whatever, that he is, that's all his love for us. It doesn't change. He's keeping an oath because his love has caused him to act. And then the tail end of verse uh, 8, 
He's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from Pharaoh the king. That his love led him to make an oath and to bring them out and to redeem them. And for us, it's the same thing. He's like, I love you, I'm making this promise to you, and and I'm going to lead you out of everything that is destroying you. Everything that is destructive to you, I'm going to... I'm going to lead you out of that. I'm going, to, I'm going to break the chains. I'm going to open your eyes. I'm going to lead you down a path of righteousness for my name's sake. I'm going to, I'm going to be the, the, the husband, the father, the, like all those like, commitment roles that he's made to us. I'm going to be every single one of them for you. That that love that just loves you for you, leads him to make promises and to back those up and to only lead you into goodness. That if we as a church, if we continue to just like to embrace this and understand this, and we continue to, okay, okay he, he loves us and we're, we're in these big promises, and so he wants to lead us into like freedom, into uh, health, into holiness, into all these kind of things. If we just keep listening to him, do you think that we can go wrong? No, we can't. If we'll just keep listening to him. We just came out of a month of praying you know, toward this name that will change in a couple of weeks and um, like as far as like how we're actually officially going by it. And we've been praying, we've been praying, and we've been praying, and that's been the legacy of the last 10 years in so many ways. People get frustrated because we move kind of slowly on things, but we really try to give a really, really dense process of prayer and discussion and scripture to everything that we do. We've come up against so many things where, where it's just like, okay, I have no idea what to do next. You know, there's, a, there's that moment I always reference in the, in the Old Testament when Jehoshaphat was leading, leading the people and they had three ar- armies coming against them and uh, they're like, God, we, don't, we have no idea what we're supposed to do here, but we're looking at you. You tell us what to do, we'll do it. And there have been so many times when the elders, staff, community groups, all of us together, and all the different, like, different combinations have come to that point where you're like, I have no idea what to do next. And if, if a part of the way that we naturally think and function is like, he loves us because he loves us, he's made promises to us, and he will lead us into whatever is next for us that is good, and we just need to just dial in and listen to him. And be patient, we, it, we cannot fail. We won't. And that's the challenge. And I believe that that is, is a part of the overall story so far, is that we just have to listen to the Lord. We can't listen to our instincts. We can't listen to uh, the flesh. We can't listen to the world. We can't listen to how other churches do it. We just have to press in and listen to Him. And if that continues for 10 more years, then we'll be having a 20th birthday party. And we'll be having all these, all, there's a ton more of these stories that we could tell about his faithfulness, and it'll just keep going until he returns. Verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I love that. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That that's his deal. He's going to be faithful. He's going to be him. 
He's not going anywhere. He's not changing. And his faithfulness enables our faithfulness. Like that's the, the progression of the verse, really, is um, he's God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We love because he loved us first. He acted on us. We respond. And so his faithfulness to us gives us every reason to be faithful in return when we understand it right. And I think that's a lot of why he wants us just to receive it tonight because our response is it's just obvious. It's natural. It's, it's, there's no other response but faithfulness. And he will do so to a thousand generations. This will just continue. And so if we are a generation in this room and there's a generation coming up behind us and there's another generation behind them and behind them, whether it's kids that are over there or kids that are out in our communities and our cities or people who have not yet come in, this is going to just continue to spread. This is the church growth model that, that, that we just need to just embrace and get under. That God is committed to us. He's made promises to us and he will faithfully lead us. We understand it, we respond, we follow him. And he just keeps, he just keeps bringing people into it. For a thousand generations. Like, this is just going to continue. And so why, why have we made it? Just, I mean, that, that's why we've made it. Not you, not me, not us, not our, anything we've contributed, or money, or buildings, or gimmicks, or anything else like that. It's just His love and His grace to us. And I hope that you are stunned by it. It's so easy for us to like, come up with reasons why we're exceptions to this. Or we don't feel loved, or we don't, you know, those kind of things. Or how can he still love me even though I do this or this or this? And The Bible just kind of like, laughs in the face of that logic. It really does. It's like, no, it's, he's not into your performance. That's not what determines his love. And so we're here because he has loved us. And I hope that we can just receive it and be encouraged by that, to be challenged by it, to, to just let him love us, and then we just respond back to him. And so, you know, we, we come out of this 30 days of, of prayer, and I hope that you've participated in that. I hope it's been good for you. I hope it's been everything that God wants it to be, honestly. Um, and I hope that it doesn't stop. Like, if it's been good for you to pray for this church and one another, and your role in it, and all that, our role in the community, and all those things, then keep, keep doing it. But I think that we just need to realize that God is incredibly proud of us. Not because we perform so well, but He just love, he loves us. And He loves that we have, I think, followed Him through this. Even when it's been weird. Even when it's been difficult. Even when you've kind of wanted to just quit and go somewhere else. Because I know, I know that that happens. I think he is pleased tonight. And so throughout the 30 days, you know, we've, we've had a prayer time in all of our services, and we're going to do this tonight to kind of bring some closure to it. So if you would stand, the band's going to come back up, and um, if you want to come kneel here at the front, we're just going to spend some time before we sing in prayerful response to what God has done. So go ahead and make your way down here if you would like to come and kneel. That's up to you. Uh, Taylor Vernon is one of our elders. And he's going to come and pray over us. And then we're going to sing in response a little bit. And then we're going to eat in response. 
So whether you're at the front or wherever you are, if you just want to just kind of take on that attitude and posture of prayer, and uh, Taylor will lead us, and then uh, Cody will take us forward. Pray with me. Father, you are good and beautiful, kind and merciful. You desire all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, we are grateful for the fullness of your love that you have showered on your creation and showered on us, your children. Father, we are amazed at the faithful covenantal love you have demonstrated for us through your Son, Jesus. A faithful love that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, of of which we as a body have both been a witness for and a demonstration of over these past ten years as your church, as the body of your Son, Jesus. Watching and living from within that sustaining grace which you have loved and guided us. Father, we ask that you continue to empower us as we go forward, seeking your kingdom and the path you have set for us, that you continue to sustain us in holiness as your treasured possession. But not for our sakes, Father, for the sake of others who do not yet know you in that deep and true way. Jesus, our promise keeper, your obedience out of love is the way. Help us into your yoke so that we too can learn the abundance and joy of obedience that is not a burdensome task but an invitation into your kind of life. Jesus, help us to respond to your offer to join you in that yoke, a yoke from which you lead us in strength and love. Lead us out of death and slavery and into a life full of freedom, a freedom for something, Father, a freedom to be your people, the people of God. Holy Spirit, what a gift. Our helper, comforter, and guide. Father, lead us by the Spirit of Christ to respond in faithfulness to our calling to follow Jesus, your Son. To be good stewards of your creation and to be bold in offering his invitation into the kingdom to others. Lead us into that faithfulness, which is made possible by your faithfulness and steadfast love. A love that will never end. Father, we follow with the hope we know the hope of resurrection into a quality of life with you that at many levels is still a mystery to us, yet one that we know to be abundantly good. And we know this, Father, because we know the resurrected Jesus and your love for us, a love demonstrated on the cross. Father, point us to the cross at this time in Lent. Help us to turn our faces in that direction towards Jerusalem. And Father, tonight we just want to thank you for leading us through these past 30 days of prayer and these past 10 years as a church. We praise you, we love you, and we desire to worship you with our lives. Amen.